Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Well, if you've got your Bible, uh, hopefully you're there. Uh, Acts chapter 16, uh, 25 through 34, we're we're, we're coming down uh, the home stretch of of Acts 16 and Paul's time in Philippi, uh, and we'll dive into the text in just a a moment. Uh, Back back in January, every every January, we do a deal called our our State of the Union kind of family meeting as a church, and and so back in January, we met with all our restoration members, and, and we we, we talked about what we, we felt like was the unique vision for 2021, and, and we said this. We, we used the phrase, uh, our, our vision was, was simply this, uh, we, are, we, are forged, uh, we are forged to follow Christ, amen? We are forged to follow Christ. And what we talked about uh, 10 months ago, or, or at that point, 10 months into COVID, now, now 18 months into COVID world, is, is how uh, for, for many, in many ways, the last 18 months have, have been a, a fiery trial for a lot of folks. Uh, I have watched, uh, I've watched friends uh, lose their battle to COVID. And, and, and some of you have too. I, I have watched I have watched folks take their lives. I have watched marriages come uh, apart at the seams. Others, uh, dear friends, have dealt with job loss and and financial uncertainty and and all the things. Uh, I, I've had pastor friends, many churches who man, it's been a stressful time. Churches have walked through. Uh, they've they've struggled. They've walked through struggles. And uh, even uh, friends of mine who. Churches have closed their doors over the last year and a half, and and so it's this idea that we've all kind of been through the fire, and in the the fire, the fire burns absolutely. But here's what we've got to remember, Restoration Fam: the fire is also revealing and exposing things as well. Amen. It's also revealing and exposing. And for the Christ follower, if you, listen, if you profess to follow Jesus, listen, you, you can't avoid being in the fire. But here's the deal. The fire is supposed to forge in you the character of Jesus. Amen? It's supposed to forge in you the character of your Savior. It's meant to deepen our, our, our calling to this gospel, this gospel mission as, as we count the cost, even in the midst of, of hard things. And, and, and now, now is not the time to waver. I, I, I read, uh, I read uh, on, online this week where a, a popular, I won't say his name, even though I said it on Facebook, uh, a, a popular North Carolina megachurch pastor, millions of followers said this this past week. He said, following Jesus, uh, he said, following Jesus doesn't change you into something else. He says it reveals who you've been all along. And he said, what would it be like to see the the you that God sees? Church, 
This is a sobering reminder that now, now is not the time to be stepping off the biblical gospel. Amen? Like now, now's not the time. Now, now's not the time to be like celebrating how awesome man is. Like look around, okay? Um, now's the time to, to speak into the brokenness, to, to speak into the despair and the darkness and to point others to their immense need for Jesus. Amen, church? Now's the time to speak into the darkness with the light. And even in the fire, even as the fire touches us, God is, God is looking for gospel faithfulness from His church. In our text this morning gives us a picture of, of gospel faithfulness in the fire as Paul and Silas are beaten and bound. And they're hanging out in prison. Um, and, and, and I think it's, it's important not to gloss over the context. I think sometimes what you've got to do, church, is you, you've got to enter into the biblical text. And, and I, I want you to do that this morning. I want you to transport yourself there to that dark prison cell. Transport yourself to that place. Tony Evans, he asked this. As we think about this scene, he asked, Christian, how, how would you have responded if you were treated this way? How would you have responded if you were treated this way? Would you, would you have been faithful? And I would just, I would just say right now, what about, what about right now? When you're, when you're in the fire and you're walking through the trials and you're suffering, is your life a picture of gospel faithfulness? Is your life a picture of gospel faithfulness? We're going to look at three things this morning, and it, you can follow along on the screen. If you've got a bulletin, you can follow along in the, with the bulletin. But as we, as we look at what it is to walk in gospel faithfulness, the first thing that I want to say as we look at 25, verse 25 through 30 is this, let your witness be unwavering. Let your witness be unwavering. I want you to look at your neighbor, tell them unwavering. <clears throat> look at your other neighbor, tell them unwavering. And so... Church fam, remember, remember context. Paul and Silas, they're in Philippi. They just cast out a demon of a fortune-telling slave girl, liberating her from spiritual bondage. And it's like, what's the grand prize for these guys? Uh, a beating, right? They're beaten mercil mercilessly. And so here they are. They're, they're shackled in stocks, they're bruised, they're bleeding. And so naturally, Paul, Paul looks over at Silas and, he, and he's like, man, the acoustics in this place are spectacular. Uh, they're, like, this is fantastic. Do you want to put on like a little, a little mini worship concert? <laughs> and, and Silas is like, you know, I'm a tenor too. Like, that's, this is perfect. Yes, let's do it. This is one of the craziest passages in Acts. Just like in terms of like response doesn't match the situation. Because verse 25 reveals that about midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God. Are, are you kidding me? They were praying and singing hymns, singing hymns to God. Uh, in the Greek, that, that, that word for pray is prosukamai. The sense is to pray or, or to make a request. 
Even, even in the midst, even in the midst of that dark, cold prison cell, beaten and bleeding. So, so it makes me makes me think of of the three Hebrews in Daniel chapter three, who they absolutely believed that God could miraculously deliver them. And so, so we don't know the content of Paul and Silas's prayers or the nature of what they were requesting God to do. But here's what we do know, church fam. We do know that their dependence on God was, was on display for everybody to see. Amen? Everybody was watching. It says that they, they were singing. In the Greek, hymneo, they, they were singing songs of praise. So in the midst of great suffering, they, they lifted up their, their voices in worship. Tony Evans says that their dark moment, both physically and figuratively, Paul and Silas, check this out, he says they weren't weeping, they weren't complaining, they weren't feeling sorry for themselves. Evans says in the middle of their pain and difficulty, they were praising, they were praising God. Their external circumstances did not dictate their internal disposition. And such peace and hope coming from the mouths of those with bloody backs, bloody backs in a jail cell. It's not natural. It's, it's, not, it's not normal. Last year, we, I had the opportunity to, to attend one of our college worship nights. Uh, how, how many of our students have been able to make it out to one of our college worship nights? We got another one coming up next Sunday. It's incredible. It, it, like it was, it was powerful. Like the the you the, the presence of the Spirit of God was just like palpable in in the place. But it got me it got me thinking. Like you know when when we when we host those those nights those college worship nights there there's there's just a certain uh, it's it's powerful. But there there's just a certain ambience and and there's a there's a, the, the the atmosphere and the wood floors of the ice house and the lights hanging down and you've got Jesus loving very gifted Jesus loving musicians and and vocalists and and we we worship and it's great like it's great. But here's the thing. Would you worship? Would you worship in the prison cell? Would you worship? Would you seek God if you if you were suffering? And with the world watching, would you praise God even through your pain? The text tells us, because the text tells us that in verse 25 that the prisoners were listening. They got a they got a front row seat to the unwavering witness of Paul and Silas. And, and check this out. So this, this was in Philippi, right? So, so later when Paul would write in Philippians 4, 4, he would say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I, I say rejoice. What that's telling us is that for Paul, like this wasn't theory, Paul, Paul, wasn't, Paul wasn't saying, hey, like here's a theory about worshiping God when things get hard. No, he practiced what he preached. He had been there. He had been there and he worshiped God in the middle of the fire. Harry Ironside once said this, he said, the world is watching Christians. And when they see Christians shaken by circumstances as they themselves, they conclude that after all, there is very little to Christianity. 
But Ironside went on, he said, but when they find Christians rising above circumstances in glorifying the Lord, even in the deepest trial, then even the unsaved realize the Christian has something in knowing Christ to which they themselves are strangers. And one final point to consider uh, in, in verse 25 is that those, those participles in the Greek uh, praise, singing and praying, uh, they're continuous. And, and so what that means is that they were continuously uh, praying. They were continually, continuously singing. And so listen, I'm not saying that you got to go around and like serenade everyone uh, with Jesus culture, right? Um, like students, that might get a little awkward like at the bus stop. I mean, go for it. If that's what God calls you to do. I'm not saying that, 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 that that's what it looks like, but here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that there, there should be a continuous worship of Jesus in your heart that is ready to overflow at all times. Amen? Our lives should, should there should be an overflow in our hearts that's ready to go at all times, an overflow of worship. So here's the application. Christian, is your, is your witness unwavering? Is, it, is your witness unwavering? Or, or does it ebb and flow with, with sort of the, the, the tides of your circumstances and your, your comfort or your personal happiness? This, this, is why, this is why the prosperity gospel and prosperity theology is so damaging because ultimately like, it can't fit it can't fit within the biblical framework of a Savior who poured His life out. It just doesn't fit with a Savior who poured His life out so that you might have salvation. It doesn't, doesn't work. It doesn't work. And prosperity theology and so much of American Christianity says that Jesus exists for you, Right? Like Jesus exists for me to make my stuff better, to maximize this in my life. Jesus exists for you. But here's, here's the thing. When you realize that you actually exist for Jesus and that all of life is about knowing Him and following Him, then, then perspective begins to shift. And, and your priorities shift. And, and worship, here's what happens. Worship and witness begin to fill the highs and the lows of your life. Amen? Unwavering witness. Second thing this morning is this, as we look at 30, verse 30 through 32. Second, second piece of, of being uh, faithful Faithful, gospel faithfulness in the fire is we need to let, let your gospel be on point. Let your gospel be on point. I want you to look at your neighbor, tell him on point. That was depressing, seriously. Look at your other neighbor and like you're excited about the Bible, tell him on point. <laughs> there you go. So, so we've got to let our gospel be on point. Following the miraculous events of verse 26, right? Earthquake, the, the doors are open, the bonds are, are broken. It, we, we actually see another miracle. The now unbound prisoners there with Paul and Silas, uh, they, they don't bail, right? <laughs> that is also a miracle. Their, but their witness had not only impacted their, their cellmates, 
It also, it leads to this gospel opportunity with the Philippian jailer who Paul, Paul rescues from suicide in verse 27 through 28. I mean, this guy was about to take his life. And, and the reason was because uh, there was this Justinian code. And it said that is, is a guard, is a jailer or, or a guard, if, a, if, if an escape took place on your watch, uh, that guard was then liable to the same penalty uh, that the, the prisoners or the prisoner would have suffered. And so this dude's ready to take his life and Paul rolls up and he says, no, 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 stop. We're all here. We're all here. And in verse 29, we see the oppressor falling down before his unjustly beaten and imprisoned captives. He's trembling. He, he's filled with fear and trepidation and, and he, he comes up to Paul and Silas and he, and he simply asks this, he says this, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Church, God, like God had orchestrated all these circumstances, Amen. He, he had orchestrated all of this, to, which led to the jailer uh, really coming to the end of himself and being open to his need for divine uh, rescue and pardon. And, and, and earlier, the jailer, the, the jailer was the one who, who bound Paul and Silas in shackles. And, and so here, only after almost losing everything, including after almost losing his own life, does he get to the point of where he's ready to get rid of his own shackles. And at this point, check this out. He, he realizes not only the authority and power of, of Paul, but, but the authority and power of Paul's message. And then, a crazy thing happens. He, he asks the question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul, like Paul just gets straight to the point. Right? Paul just goes straight to the point. Uh, and, and it's like, how, how many, how many of, uh, we got parents and, and like if you're either in the preschool stage or, or past the preschool stage, you, you know, when your kids are young, and, and you'll know, you'll know uh, what I'm talking about. When a kid hit, hits a certain age, they, they have access to a fairly, a fairly large vocabulary. And, that, and like, that's fantastic, right? That's great, except for when it's bedtime. Um, but sometimes, like a kid, when they're that age, they'll, they'll start telling you something. And about, about 10 seconds into the convo, you, you realize, like, they're, they're not, they're not going to get to the point. <laughs> I think they've forgotten the point, right? Or like there was never a point. <laughs> there was never a point. They're just talking and you listen and like you smile. And in about 30 seconds, like your eye starts twitching, right? <laughs> and then in like all the abundance of my patients, like at the 38 second mark, I usually just cut them off, right? <laughs> like I just interrupt. I'm like, and I help them craft the point that they're never going to make. Um, <laughs> church, I love what happens next because Paul, Paul gets straight to the point, amen? He gets straight to the point. He, listen, here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't, he doesn't demand the jailer make things right first. He doesn't demand, and listen, the jailer's wrongs were, listen, he had personally and grievously wronged Paul and Silas. 
And Paul, Paul doesn't rebuke him for the scars on his body, his back that would have still been, been dry, the blood would have been drying from the beatings. He doesn't, he doesn't rebuke him for being bound to these stocks. He doesn't demand that the jailer immediately renounce his position over the prison. He doesn't, he, he doesn't lay out this system of good works. What does he say? He just says, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus. Believe in the Greek. It's this this word pistio. And it it means this. It's not just trusting. It is entrusting your life to God. Church Paul says believe in the Lord Jesus. Not, not, not Not the culturally contrived Jesus. Not... Not the Jesus, not universalist Jesus, not the Jesus that gives you a free pass on your non-repentance, not the Jesus that allows you to obey parts of the Bible, but, but not the parts of the Bible that you don't like. No, he says, believe on the Lord Jesus, the Colossians 1 Jesus, the incarnate, the God in human flesh Jesus, who had sovereignty over, has sovereignty over every square inch of creation including your life. This is believe on the Lord Jesus. And, and I, know, I know we get in, in, into this lordship salvation argument. And I've got, I've got friends on all sides and they're brothers and sisters in Christ. And I understand. I understand what many are saying when they, when they argue that you can't add lordship to salvation in this sense because you you know they would say you're you're adding you're you're adding making acts of obedience a prerequisite for being saved and i and so so uh that flies in the face of ephesians 2 8 and 9 that for by grace you've been saved through faith it is a gift of god it's not a result of works, so that no one may boast right I, i get that and there's so many other passages, New Testament passages that talk about salvation being by grace through faith, right? It's a free gift. It is a work of God. And to all of that, I say a hearty amen. Well, Restoration fam, what I would say is that faith and lordship, they they work hand in hand. Lordship in the sense that I want to talk about, it's it's not an act of obedience separate from the gospel, but I would say a vital part of gospel belief in the regeneration of the Spirit of God. It is a Lordship in this sense, it is, a, it is a complete change of the disposition of one's heart and mind toward Jesus. Like, what are you believing about Jesus? And I would just say that he, is a, he, he would be an insufficient Savior if He's not a sovereign, omnipotent Lord over all things. Amen? So Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's it. Like church, we, we've got to quit trying to, we've we got to quit adding stuff to the gospel. We've got to quit trying to reform somebody before they're regenerated by the Spirit of God. Like, how does that even work? Like, their, their mind, their heart, their affections, they don't even want those things. 
We've got to quit trying to, to, to make them work for it and earn it when even God doesn't do that in regard to salvation. And, and listen, it's grace. It's all like it's it's grace, all grace. And yes, grace should absolutely change and transform us. We're going to see that in verse 33 and 34. But we hear me. We can't require on the front end what the gospel produces on the back end. We cannot require on the front end what the gospel produces on the back end. The works are meant to flow from the salvation that is freely given. What's my point? Here's the application. (laughs) The point is let your gospel be on point. Even, I know I don't know specifically, but I know many of you are walking through hard things. You're walking through trials. You're you're maybe you're in the midst of the fire right now. But even even in the midst of all of that, listen, don't step off of the gospel. Don't step off of Christ crucified and raised in his righteousness alone is the source of salvation for sinful man. And I would say this, if your gospel has shifted uh, and, is, and is more, if, if there's more things that you're adding to Christ crucified and raised and, uh, and, and resurrected, listen, you, you may be getting sucked into a cultural gospel that has little to do with the biblical Jesus. Let your gospel be on point. Church, let it be on point. Third thing this morning is this, as we look at verse 33 and 34, let let baptism be urgent. Let baptism be urgent. I want you to look at your neighbor, tell them urgent. (laughs) Look at your other neighbor, neighbor, tell them urgent. And so this is the this final point. Listen, it's going to be short, but I want to I want to cut through all the noise on this passage four times. Four times in verse 32 through 34, the, the text mentions household, all, all who were in his house, all his family, entire household. And, and now, listen, many, uh, many infant baptism folks will, will use this as a New Testament proof text for baptizing babies. And listen, don't, listen, we're, we're a non-denominational church. I know we're a little baptist but don't go firing off an email tomorrow morning, Okay. Here, I, I'm fully aware of all the, uh, all the theological underpinnings of infant baptism and covenant theology. But here's my question. In at just Acts 16, what does the text say? What does the text say? In verse 32, it tells us, They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Church, Paul and Silas, they shared the gospel with the whole fam. Amen? They shared the gospel with the whole family. The whole fam heard the gospel and they responded to the good news of Jesus. Amen? And verse 33 says, He was baptized at once, he and all his family. Like this, this ultimately becomes the, there's other passages that we have to kind of navigate around, things that were going, going on in that, in that kind of transitional period uh, from the apostles to churches being planted. But the normative pattern becomes this. The gospel's preached, 
people hear it, they, they listen, they respond in saving faith to Jesus, and then in response to that saving faith, they're, they're then baptized. They're then baptized. And, and, and I think we, we take the passages that group belief and baptism together, and I think we, we get it twisted and we go, oh, baptism must be a, a requirement for my salvation, but we miss the point. They're grouped together just like a wedding ring is grouped together with a marriage ceremony. Amen? Belief and baptism are grouped together like a wedding ring is grouped together with a marriage ceremony. The, the, ring, the ring is not, it's not the marriage. But why in the world would you not want to display the outward sign of an inward covenant and grace? So it's like this, this past Sunday night, Steph and I, we, we get to go to a lot of weddings together. And so uh, I, I officiated a wedding for one of our former students that graduated a few years ago. And, and during the reception, we we're getting ready to leave and um, get, we had to get, get home to the kiddos. And, and we slipped out of the reception and went back over to the wedding chapel and it was cleared out. And, and so it was an empty room, but the, the, the acoustics were on point. So I took a little page from Paul and Silas's playbook. Uh, but but un, un, unlike them, I, I, didn't, I didn't serenade my wife with a hymn. I, I, I serenaded my wife with a little uh, 1992 uh, Shy, If I Ever Fall in Love. Um, not Shy Lynn. You got to look it up. Shy, If I Ever Fall in Love. Uh, but I love going to weddings with my wife. I, I love watching weddings. I love watching ceremonies. I love being a part of them because it, it takes me back to all at this point, almost 17 years ago when we entered into a marriage covenant. We said, till death do us part. But here's the, the, here's the thing. My, my, my wedding ring, like this is not my marriage, right? This is, this is just the outward picture of what Steph and I have. And, and so, but, but if I'm like, you know what? I don't really need this. I don't need to wear it. It's, it's not, uh, this, isn't my, this isn't the covenant, right? So I'm not going to wear it. My wife's going to have some questions, <laughs> right? Like, we're going to have some fun conversations, okay? Uh, why in the world, why in the world would you not want to put the ring on? Christian, why wouldn't you want to be baptized why wouldn't you want to show the the world the outward picture of an inward reality of what Jesus has done in your life and heart and here's the application and 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 and, and I I'm going to hit this quickly and because here's here's the deal if God's calling you to be baptized, don't do it because a church requires it for membership. Don't, don't do it because a preacher tells you to do it. Do it because the Spirit of God is raising up that conviction in your heart and in your life. Amen? But here's what some of you need to hear this morning. For some of you, like you're in, you're in a holding pattern, Christian. Because until you take what was supposed to be the first step of obedience after salvation, you're going to continue to struggle taking other steps of obedience that God is calling you to do. Put the ring on. Put the ring on. I, I'll say this, if the Spirit has bringing, been bringing that conviction, He, he kind of gets a little bit like a pit bull, right? <laughs> like, he, like you can sleep on it, you can talk about it, you can talk it to death, but if the Spirit of God is raising that up, He's not going to let it go until you do it. Don't let fear, don't let pride, don't let anything else get in the way. Do it. 
I love in verse 33, before his baptism, the gospel fruit is already at work because he, he washes their wounds. And then after baptism, I, I, like, I love you continue to see the outworking of the salvation. After baptism, he walks in obedience. And in verse 34, we now find the jailer treating his prisoners as brothers. Amen. They were gospel fam. Like the gospel had com- completely turned everything upside down. So much so that this dude has Paul and Silas. Like I don't know if the other you know, prisoners were there. I'm not sure if they got the meal. But they're, they're in the guy's house, in his home, with his family. And they're sharing a meal from prisoners to brothers. That's what the gospel does. And I'll close with this. Let me close. I'll close with this. And I, and I want to go back to being on point with the gospel. Oh, man, we've got like we're culturally in the American church. We're just on both extremes. We're just losing it. We've got to get on point with the gospel. I read the I read the story this past week of Bishop John Taylor Smith, who was a chaplain he was a chaplain in the British Army during World War I. And Bishop Smith would, he would ask the, the chaplain candidates one question. He would, he would ask chaplain candidates, he would say, suppose I am a soldier who has been wounded in the field of battle. And I have three minutes to live and I am afraid to die because I do not know Christ. Tell me, tell me, how may I be saved and die with the assurance that all is well? And if the candidate, if the chaplain candidate, if they beat around the bush and they, they, they talked about the church or they talked about ecumenical stuff or they talked about uh, the ordinances or if they talked about good deeds, Bishop Smith would interject, he would cut them off and he would, he, he would say, that will not do. That will not do. I only have three minutes to live. Tell me what I must do. And here's what Bishop Smith knew. Church, he knew this. The gospel isn't on point if it can't save a dying man. The gospel isn't on point if it can't save a dying man. In a gospel that demands more than faith, the gospel that demands more than faith, it's no gospel. The good news, the good news is this. That Jesus was faithful in the fire. He was faithful in the fire. He had been tortured. He had been beaten. He he was nailed to a Roman cross. And as he looked out on his tormentors, and he looked out on his naysayers, and he, he looked out at all those who were mocking him, in an instant, is God in human flesh. Man, he could have called down legions of angels just to wipe them out. And they deserved it fully. And he said, Father, forgive them. He said, Father, forgive them. So they, they don't even, they don't even know. They don't even know what they're doing. Because Jesus knew that his perfect sacrificial death was the only way. His sacrificial death for sin was the only solution to our sin problem. 
And, and here's the thing to think about. That day when Jesus hung on that cross and said, Father, forgive them. The perfect, omniscient Son of God was also thinking about you. And he, he was thinking about me. And, and he was thinking about laying, that he would lay down his life for us, for our salvation, and for every sin that we would ever commit that separated us from a holy and righteous God. And praise God, praise God, that in the fire, Jesus was faithful. Amen? In church, here's the thing. He is calling us. He is calling you now to that same gospel faithfulness. Y'all pray with me.